The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with files of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various thoughts on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some harder and lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards light. Moving towards light. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. You're listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of false entertainment. Tonight, I'll go with Edgar Wallace. Of online network. Final episode of the second season of Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. 
So, tonight, who would ever have imagined that a turn-of-the-century British mystery writer would prove so influential in post-war Germany? And yet, the surprisingly prolific German creamy became the staple of Teutonic cinema throughout the 1960s, with colorful, serial-inflected comic book-style Edgar, Brian Edgar, and Faux Wallaces comprising what seemed to be the entire filmic output of the Central European nation for over a decade. So, tag in the similar for later Dr. Mabuse series, and that pretty much covers it. So join us as we talk Harold Reinl, Alfred Vorer, Eddie Arendt, Hockin Fuchsberger, uh, Heinz Strache, Klaus Kinski, and Karen Doerr, plus the, perhaps the more sedate British B-feature variant series, only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. So uh, we are back. This is our final week in the first, uh, sorry, the second season. Second uh, yeah. And I am definitely looking forward to some of the new material that we have set up. Um you know, I'll just give a quick runoff. Next week, uh, we are going to be doing a uh, tribute show because, as you know, uh, the list of the fallen has uh, really been dramatic this year. I understand that Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire joined the list today. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've lost a lot of people. We like David Bowie, uh, two people from the Jefferson Airplane, Paul Cantner and Sidney Anderson, uh, Lemmy Kilmeister from Motorhead and Hawkwind, Jimmy Bain from D1 Rainbow, uh, Glenn Fry from the Eagles, Dallas Taylor from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Dale Griffin from Mott the Hoople, uh, Nicholas Caldwell from The Whispers, Mick Gillette from Tower of Power, uh, Stone's Yardbirds manager, Giorgio Gamelsky, uh, Angus Scrim from Phantasm, Dan Haggerty, uh, Vilma Zygmond, uh, Abe fish Vagoda, Frank Finley, Terry Wogan, Jacques Rivette, Pat Schneider-Harrington. I mean, it's ridiculous. So we're going to be having a little tribute show to um, several of those people next week. Uh, we'll also be looking forward to things like we'll be tackling – we always threaten to do television. We did some last week with the British Cult TV show. Uh, and we will return to that because we never did get to the St. and the Avengers. Um, but we're going to be doing a show on uh, superhero and comic books and television. Uh, so we'll be talking all sorts of stuff like uh, you know the from the uh, early days with the, the chapter play serials uh, in the 30s and 40s, and then the stuff that they did in the 70s, stuff like Secrets of Isis, Wonder Woman, uh, Shazam, the Marvel productions like Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, and then uh, more recently stuff like the 1990 Flash, uh, Smallville, and then of course the current stuff, which is probably where we're going to spend most of our time, uh, stuff like Constantine, Arrow, the new Flash, <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow, that train wreck, uh, Supergirl, even iZombie. Uh, so that will be in uh, two weeks, hopefully. Uh, we'll be doing one on Canon Films, uh, mm -hmm. just because I totally love those things. Uh, and we'll be doing one on Shaw Brothers uh, and touching on all the uh, big names and uh, famed directors along the way. So you can expect us uh, talking about uh, people like Ho Meng Hua and uh, Chor Yuan and um, Mark Kao Lung, Chang Che. Um, you know, we're going to be talking Dan Curtis in the 70s after he left Dark Shadows and he started doing all those uh, Richard Matheson uh, TV movies that scared the shit out of everybody when they were a kid. Uh, things like, you know, Trilogy of Terror and Dead of Night and, uh, you know, uh, what else? He did these, those ones like Jekyll and Hyde, Dracula, Dorian Gray, Frankenstein, yes. Screw, yeah. Burn Offerings, uh, Scream of the Wolf, The Norlis Tapes, The Night Stalker, and The Night Strangler. So uh, we'll be delving into that one uh, a couple weeks up. Uh, we're going to be doing a show on American Gothic. We haven't touched on too many American directors thus far. Uh, so we're going to do one on uh, some vaguely interrelated people, uh, Toby Hooper and John Carpenter, who, uh, as fans know, did collaborate on the uh, 1993 Body Bags. 
we'll be talking uh, Lamberto Bava and Michele Suave. Uh, also, you know, people who work their way up in the Italian film industry from basically being ADs to being directors of their own. Uh, we'll be talking. We we'll have the podcast of the Blind Dead, where we talk the films of Amanda De Osorio. Uh, and this must be an older version because there is a newer one uh, where I threw on the next one, which was – what was it today? Do you remember? <laughs> what was the 31st week? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh. oh it was um, Dave Dakota and Full Moon, the, the history of Full Moon films. Uh, so we'll yeah. be talking uh, the early Charles Band productions and Empire and the Dave Dakota uh, since he had done so much of his career with Full Moon before moving on to his own Rapid Heart. Uh, and, and Torchlight, I believe, was a, a offshoot, too, under Full Moon. Uh, so we'll be discussing all that uh, on week 31. So uh, looking forward to the new season here. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of, a lot of good stuff. I like we're, slight, we're slightly stepping out of our comfort zone, so to speak. And uh, and it, I, I think uh, as, as we're thinking of more interesting shows, we're probably down the line, maybe seasons four and five. <laughs> We're, yep. we're actually uh, really delve into some really oddball things, uh, and and uh, you know we're not only having fun. Oh, the spaghetti westerns you didn't mention. Yeah, we're going to. Well, see, that that's too. it. I mean, are we really considering that part of season three, or are we going to push it to season four? I don't know oh. yet. We haven't we haven't set them up yet. Those shows I mentioned are all set up and ready to roll. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they're but on schedule. Things, yeah, going on going forward. Oh, I hate that word. In the, yeah, the, we today's corporate world, <laughs> we have a lot of stuff. You're going to be entertained till, till oh, you no. die. <laughs> <laughs> die. <laughs> so stay with us. Don't be like uh, all the people that passed on this month. <laughs> you can to be entertained. We have plenty to look forward to. Uh, and, you know, like I said, we were really concentrating in the beginning on uh, Euro horror, and now we're trying yes. to move on to, you know, other areas that uh, of interest and touching on things like television and uh, through next week's show, touching a bit on music, uh, things that we have promised from day one. So we're finally starting to, uh, you know, we, we covered what we needed to get to right away, and now we're kind of branching out a bit. So uh, looking forward to all the new stuff coming up. So uh, this week we are talking Edgar Wallace, and uh, I'm going to let you talk more about him in particular, but – the thing is, he was a British pulp ministry writer, those who don't know. He's sort of in the vein of Sax Romer, who did all those great Fu Manchu novels. Uh, the most famous moment for people who don't know him was that he penned the original script to King Kong, which later uh, director Marion C. Cooper uh, messed around with a little bit. But uh, he is his mark is on that script. Um, in terms of... In, you know, obviously, he was a British writer, and he did have a few films that popped up in the 30s in Britain uh, that were kind of unspectacular, but they existed. And it wasn't until the 60s that really the Germans uh, latched onto this. I mean, it was in the post-war era. They really were never uh, – since the days of expression – remember, this is the country that gave us expressionism and gave us you know, eventually Hitchcock and things like that. Uh, the horror film as we know it kind of came from the German expressionists. And yet, because of the dark events of the war, uh, they kind of shied away from that. They, they really never wanted to deal with horror again. They, they sort of changed, I guess, in the last 20 years, and you see a little bit here and there, but it's never been a big genre in Germany. Uh, so what they did, they found that they latched onto, was these sort of colorful 
comic booky. It, it's sort of on one hand mixed the spy craze that was going on at the time from James Bond and all the Euro spies, uh, and these mysteries that were kind of very he wrote very convoluted sort of mysteries. There's a lot of twists and turns. Um, it was much more crazy than even something like you know Elder Biggers who did the Charlie Chan novels uh, with seventeen oh, ball paint. And and I think also that the 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 earliest German uh, Edgar Wallace adaptations and quotations are also probably influenced by the Jalo thrillers, not so much the movies, but the the stories. You know, Jalo were those yellow uh, lurid paperbacks. You know, right. those uh, those stories that were very very popular that that led to the movies later on. And I think part, you know, it's not that far. So I think the the popularity of those probably just kind of oozed over. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the timeline on the Jallo paperbacks because they were around for a while, you know, well before the yeah. uh, the Jallo itself came to be in the late 60s and right. the early 70s. Uh, but yeah, definitely there was some sort of a cross blending. And you know, I had spoken to uh, anybody that's interested in metal. You know, I spoke to Pete Seal from Iron Savior. Uh, he had mentioned a book series that I was unfamiliar with, but which I found out later was huge in Germany, uh, Perry Rodin. Uh, so oh, you've yeah. got things like this all sort of bleeding together. You've got a little bit of sci-fi in there, along with these twists and turns that came from Edgar Wallace, that came from the Jallos, mm -hmm. that came from this sort of comic book adaptation sort of thing. And touches of the expressionism are still there. You know, they, they've got a gothic feel to them a lot of times. Mm -hmm. uh, so all that kind of plays into it. Now, just to, before we jump into Edgar Wallace per se and the, and the creamy, uh, there, in terms of Germany outside of that, uh, there wasn't a hell of a lot going on, like I mentioned earlier. They did have um, things like Sherlock Holmes and the Deadly Necklace, which sort of almost is a creamy slash Wallace, but it's not. Uh, Christopher Lee was actually in that one. Um, Castle of the Walking Dead, which is also known as Torture Chamber of Dr. Says, and we both referenced that before. That actually was sort of a um, Italian Gothic, if you will, you know, with sort of a spooky castle and all that, and very Fumetti-like. Uh, again, Christopher Lee was in that. And Cave of the Living Dead, which was a, a German-Yugoslavian production, uh, also very Middle European Gothic, had very much of like the feel of uh, the first chapter or two of Dracula, you know, going through the village mm -hmm. and everything. Um, but otherwise, it was mostly crime and Eurospy. You know, things like Grand Slam coming out of there, the Heist Caper with uh, actually there's a bunch of people in there, but I'm thinking of Adolfo Celia and um, Klaus Kinski off the top of my head. Uh, okay. Dog Eat Dog, which I believe had uh, Jane Mansfield in it, of all people. Yes. Um, yeah. Assassination in Rome and Espionage in Tangiers, which are pretty much, you know, Eurospy, which maybe we'll talk, cover someday. Um, things like Nylon News, Escape from Sahara. Well, Escape from Sahara is more of a war film, but, um, you know, No Survivors, Please, The Black Cobra, uh, the Commissar X films. Um, we, we were going to talk someday about the... Um, uh, what, what's his name? The, the fellow that you gave me this set for. Um, oh, Jerry Cotton. Yes, I was thinking of Ralph Nader. Uh, George Nader, that's who it was. Um, the Jerry Cotton films, and of course the Mabuza films. You also had strange things. I think, uh, was it Harold Reinhold that directed Horrors of Spider Island and The Head? I forget who did those two. No, it wasn't Harold Reinhold, but Reinhold did do that very strange... Uh, it's, it's known... Predominantly is the torture chamber of Doctor Baron Sadism. Yeah, Lee. I mentioned that one. It's that's the one yeah, before yeah. the Castle of the Walking Dead, and so that yeah. was Rhino. Interesting. 
Yeah. And Karen Dorr was in that too, which you'll notice that she pops up in a lot of Rhino Productions. I think they were involved. Um, they were married. Yes. Yeah, see, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so you know, you have the particulars. I have sketchy things in my head. Like I really thought they were a couple or something, but you know, I don't know whether they're married or they're messing around or okay. Um, also, uh, wanted to mention just going through this little list of people, the few things that Germans did that weren't really in this uh, creamy thing. Uh, the vampire happening, which was sort of a uh, comedy, uh, almost. Freddie Francis did that. It's horrible, though. Oh my God. Freddie Maine. I mean, it, it, I thought it was amusing, but it was stupid. Um, and there, there's one with Johnny Garco. Do you remember that? Um, Which one? Oh gosh, uh, Dracula blows his cool was one of the English <laughs> translations. Wow. Yeah, uh, Johnny Garco, really well known for one or two Jallos, but pretty much he did a lot of spaghetti westerns. westerns. Yeah. And he played this like, yeah, Sartana. He played this swinging playboy. Oh, and this, uh, I think it's like 1970, and it's got. It's hard to to. Uh, it's hard to uh, analyze this picture because it's been dubbed so many times that what we got was like a 70 minute. Uh, you know, for those of you of age, remember private screening videos. Mm-hmm. This it was marketed as like a soft core sex movie comedy, and it's just it's bad. Freddie, yeah, I think Freddie Francis again worked on this. You know, you right. just not, these ex you know, expatriate like Brit, Brit directors who were like, I need to work more, I need to make money, so they you know went over to Germany and made these shitty movies. But <laughs> and then you know uh, you also had things like and this was a little bit later you know Magdalena possessed by the devil which is probably the worst Exorcist knockoff you'll ever see in your life uh, it, was, it predated the Exorcist it predated the Exorcist uh, but no, it's think watchable yeah I think it's watchable I, I thought it was kind of painful especially if you compare it to things like you know uh, La Cessa or um, you know what was the Nashi one that they just translated as Exorcism over here, or the oh, Antichrist? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are like good, you know, variations on that thing that improve on what became or what was before uh, the Exorcist. Uh, but but I've seen a kind of, lot worse. <laughs> well, yeah, there are worse. That's true. Um, Mark of the Devil, which we've referenced in the past, a really painful film to watch, uh, and Deadly Jaws, which was another. So I'm not sure which one of us is live, but it seems like my co-host dropped out. So if I'm the the only one on, we're, we're, we have a little technical difficulty, and uh, we will try to resolve this very quickly. So please bear with us. Okay, yes. so apologies for that. My uh, <laughs> one of my cats decided to. It's actually the same cat that popped my wife's game the last show and then put it back in for her. Uh, oh, so the same cool. cat decided to come over here and walk across my keyboard, and that meant that I went into airplane mode and got logged off the air and everything else. <laughs> like airplane mode? What the hell is this? Uh, so anyway. Uh, we were talking about uh, the last thing I want to mention, which was Harold Reiner did another weird movie, which was Deadly Jaws. Do you remember that one? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It was very yeah. hard to find for a very long time. I finally got my hands on it. 
Yeah, it's actually on a cheapy set out there, one of those like Video Asia jobs. Uh, but again, it was something I was like, what the hell is this? I've never seen this before. Uh, but that's later. That's more of like a Jaws knockoff. Uh, so that's really it. Uh, the only other thing that I didn't address here, which I said I would, and I think we should devote a couple of minutes to, is the Mabuza series. I mean, you had the Tester of Dr. Mabuza, well, the original one. Well, okay. do we want to do that now, or do we want to tail end that? Because... Uh, yeah. I'd rather tail end that right before we're done because okay. uh, the the a lot of the, the personnel that are going uh, that worked on we obviously can't discuss every single Edgar Wallace films. There are quite no, a few. No, it's impossible. Yeah, but uh, but a lot of the key personnel uh, uh, in front of and behind the screen worked on those. And if you don't mind, yeah, I no, just like to, yeah, because I think it's probably a good segue into like. While these things are not popular anymore, or the interest is waning, so let's right. go do this. That kind now, of thing. Now, I should also say that the Edgar Wallace films in this country have been kind of dicey. Uh, something weird. I mean, they may still have them on DVDs. I don't know, but they have brought over a bunch of them on VHS, and I have them that way. Uh, which I understand that you had said that you did a bunch of the uh, the scripts on the back for. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, yes. And that's they had a really good collection of that, and that's 95% of where I've seen these. Now, in the DVD era, not much of this has been transferred over. Uh, Retromedia brought a couple of them over. There's mm-hmm. a few, quote, Edgar Wallace collections. But the problem is, and I think we had mentioned it, I don't know if we mentioned it off air or on air, uh, but we were talking about this recently, and Fred Owen Ray, he, I don't know what he's doing. He brought over like two at a time, and then you wouldn't see any for a year or two, and then he'd bring another two, and then he started repeating. And he's like, okay, well, here's another set finally after like five years, and it would be one that you already have that he already released and something else that maybe wasn't even an Edgar Wallace. I'm like, what the hell? So I think that's strange, but here's what's out right now. You can get the, in the three collections he put out, Fellowship of the Frog, The Mad Executioners, Curse of the Yellow Snake and Phantom of Soho, In on the River, and The Terrible People. That's it. Um, then somebody else, a couple other companies have put out, one of them put out Creature with a Blue Hand, which is a good mm-hmm. one. Uh, yes. The College Girl Murders, I think that came out from Dark Sky. Uh, that's okay. Strangle of Brackmore Castle is kind of crappy. That's a Brian Edgar, supposedly. And that's on, like, you know, Alpha, one of those cheapy labels. Uh, Dead Eyes of London is out. I believe that's out both ways, from a cheapy label and from Retromedia, which, I don't know, depending on how you look at it, that could be the same thing. Um... Monster <laughs> London City, you know, that's been out like a dozen times. Uh, Secret of the Red Orchid is out with it. Uh, Strangle of the Tower is out. Actually, that was another uh, one of his. He put a Strangle of the Tower, but again with Monster of London City. So he put out Monster of London City about three times. Uh, <laughs> well, and, you know, and, and, you, and you, mentioned, you mentioned something weird a few minutes ago, and a lot of the stuff was on VHS via, via uh, that company, and I know they do a lot of DVD-R releases, yes. which means they'll print them for you from, I don't know, they're going to run it off from the VHS tape or, much, yeah. or whatever. Um, I've seen the catalog not too long ago, so a lot of things are not there anymore. But yeah. I, I think if you guys are really interested, you can actually shoot them uh, an email. You know, again, I'm not from, you know, Lisa's always been very nice to me, Lisa Petrucci. But yeah, you know, it's worth a shot. If you guys are interested in these films, uh, ask. Um, speaking of which, I, I have told you, and thank you for mentioning that I did the uh, 
the uh, little blurbs on the back of the video, the story synopsis, et cetera, for something weird, is that not too long ago, uh, somebody on Facebook, somebody had said to her, who wrote these things? And she listed like four names, and I was one of them. I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> she remembered me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't have that sort of relationship with them at all. I was more of a buyer, but I would chat with – I forget the fellow's name that runs their um, online service. You know, There's somebody else besides Mike when he was alive and Lisa that does this div, right, uh, yeah. dirty work, I guess. And I would, Tim, his name's Tim. And I used to chat with him constantly, and uh, you know they were always good to me in that respect. And I honestly oh, yeah. think how I got to speak to Mike uh, for the show. So uh, I have nothing but good. And, and I, I love I love time. A lot of, a lot of these guys who I knew personally uh, did some of their more spicier stuff, but because they were afraid of their normal life encroaching or blah blah blah, vice versa, they they adopted these pseudonyms. I remember one time I said to Mike, of course, when he was still alive. I could talk to Mike now too, and you know, he might listen. <laughs> um, answering me is a problematic thing, or I would be a little bugged out. But anyway, I remember talking to Mike. Who the hell is, et cetera, et cetera? Because this stuff was really weird. These these little blurbs on the back. He goes, "Oh, that's so and so." I know who the hell that is. <laughs> so very funny. But uh, I always, I think once in a while I went by a pseudonym because I remember there were times. I was getting, literally, when Mike was alive, he was sending me very large boxes of VHS tapes, which means I had to watch these things, write about these things. And after a while, I was like, well, I think I just reviewed 32 movies. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Anyway. But anyway. uh, So... Basically, like I mentioned earlier, they were making Edgar Wallace films per se uh, all the way back in the, the early silent era, I mean, like 1915. Uh, but most of them were, I think, still coming out of England, stuff like you know, The Terror, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but once you got into the 60s, I think Harry Allen Towers uh, kicked it off with a few. Uh, he had a couple co-productions, um, and of course Harry's British, uh, with Germany. Things like uh, Death Drums Along the River, Coast of Skeletons, which is mostly British actors, but Heinz Draca, who will pop up on a lot of the later Edgar Wallace films, uh, he's in this one. Uh, Circus of Fear, which was kind of in the middle, uh, but that had Christopher Lee and a lot of British actors. But and those had be- better budgets, too, the, those ones you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean they're better. It just, yeah, they definitely have... No, better uh, budgets. Yeah, yeah. Right, better sets, better budgets, but... Um, the British adaptations, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a box set out there that collects them all. I mean, they have them out individually. They put it all together. This is, again, Region 2 UK, uh, and I got it that way. There's a big set. And I'll tell you, there's some good ones in there. Uh, yeah. There was about, what were there, like 50 of them? There's a hell of a lot of them. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, it was more than like 30. Um, you know, but, you know, the thing is, they're talking, and, and yes. that's... That's per se of the time period for British, you know, and 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 guys, keep in mind these things were short. They yeah, had a lot of, yeah. They it, had even a though lot they're of, super talky and boring, they're doubly boring because they were like forty-five minutes. They were like a second yes. and third feature, and when you go to to the movie theaters, you know, in those days you see a couple of features. So oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Edgar Wallace fan. The man, the books, I actually had a lot of first editions, second editions. I went out of my way. Um, 
and uh, the movies. I've been watching these way, way back. And the British ones, uh, I did a lot of research on this years and years ago because I was doing a personal project that just didn't happen. But um, the British ones, they really wanted to make money on these. These were not television. Mm-hmm. And they they were too bloody short to show in the theater. And yeah. you got to keep in mind that in these days, double bills were not popular in the UK. You know, it was like you go to see a movie. It was an event, you, you know, back in these, this time period. And um, they were forced to do double bills because, as you said, you can only show so many shorts, so many uh, wartime, war, wartime propaganda, you know, UK or American, so many cartoons, and you had to start pumping up, you know, these things are 43 minutes long, so even two of them is short. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but and they felt long. <laughs> the funny thing is, they actually kind of refer to them, since they were so damn short, as episodes, almost as if they were ready for the television packages that yes. they would eventually become. Uh, so you'll see people that are popping up in a lot of these. Because like I said, there must have been, and I'm literally serious, I, I think it was about 40 episodes, maybe more. Um, you got people like Bernard Lee, who was M from oh Bond, pop up five of them. I was uh, just going to say that name. <laughs> you know, Alan Cuthbertson pops up in four of them. Yes. Uh, Bernard Archer from Crawl and Village of the Dam pops up in four of them. Jennifer Daniel from a couple of Hammer films, Reptile and Kiss of the Vampire. She's in three of them. Jack Watling, who was the father of Victoria uh, and also showed up in Doctor Who, uh, Abominable Snowman and Wood with Fear. He was in three of them. Michael Gow pops up in two of them. Maurice Denham from uh, Night of the Demon pops up in two of them. Patrick McGee, uh, you know, from things like Fulci's a Black Cat and Demons of the Mind he pops up in two. William Russell, who's Ian from the Hartnell Doctor Who, is in two. Nigel Green, who's Neil and Smith in the Fu Manchu films, is in two. Hartnell himself. Uh, from Doctor Who, the original Doctor Who was in one. Uh, Hazel Court was in one from you know Doctor Blood's Coffin, Mask of the Red Death, stuff like that. Jack Headley from uh, New York Ripper and Three Eyes Only is in one. Yvonne Monlauer is in uh, one. She was in stuff like Brides of Dracula, Circus of Horrors, Terror of the Times. You know, this is just people I went through the list. I'm like, they're popping up a couple of times. Let me let me mention the ones that really mattered here. Dawn Adams, uh, Thousand Dollars, Doctor Mabuza, uh, Two Pieces of Doctor Jekyll, Anton Differing. Uh, Yoko Tani, Freda Jackson, Gerald Harper, we talked about last week with Adam Adamant, Jack Smethurst from Love Thy Neighbor was in one, Diane Clare from Plague of the Zombies, Katie Wilde, uh, Jack May, also from Adam Adamant, Annika Wills, also from Doctor Who, Polly, uh, Barbara Windsor from the Carry On films, Derek Aylward from the Pete Walker Sex films, Michael Caine was in one. Uh, oh. Yeah, he was a thug. I, I, I laughed when I saw him. Uh, and they gave him like t- three lines, basically. Okay. Uh, Burt Kwok, who was Kato from the Pink Panther movies. Uh, John Forbes Robertson from the Doctor, like Doctor C movies. I mean, mm-hmm. they pretty much brought out anybody that was a name to show up in these things. And the thing is that some of them, you know, okay, you got like 40 of them pretty much. You know, let's just call yeah. it that. Um, I'd say about 16 of them were really clever. Uh, maybe another 10 were, okay, that wasn't so bad. And then the rest of them were just turgid. <laughs> so well, it was a very yeah, good miss. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing, though, because uh, he's such a prolific damn writer. And then he started to cannibalize his own stories. You know, the, the thieves would appear. And he actually would, you would have reappearances of, of uh Detectives or characters and stories. So you're thinking, is this a continuation? No, it's not. It's a different story. Sort of like the Phantomus, which I really love those books. Oh my god! But um, 
So I I I I think um the those shorts we're talking about are are very interesting. Stanji, yes, you know, do they do they play well nowadays? Well, you have to be an, a cinema enthusiast or a cineast or yes. somebody who's a fan of the author, the books, or mysteries. I think it will work for you if you like, you know. Now you you're a huge fan of of uh, older films. You know, yes. I was too. You know, Bogart, um, you know, pre-code stuff. Oh yeah, so I, I love all that old stuff. So you know, I, when I say something like that is watchable, then okay, yes, you got to take that into mind. A lot of people won't even watch the things that I enjoy. But when right. I say something is turgid, it's going to be a very limited audience. And say, <laughs> oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, but say we're you know we're, we're talking about the volume that it is. Yeah, saying something you know saying like fifteen of them are suck. You know, yeah. So but yeah, but you know it's like. Um, you buy a package. You're gonna you're gonna like it or not. You know, it's it's yeah. a very uh, iffy thing there. And I would um, definitely recommend if you are gonna explore it, get the big box set with all the volumes in it. Don't go for one volume or two volumes because you never know what you get. You, know, you might as well just get the whole package. Say, okay, this twenty are great, and this other batch is whatever it is, uh, rather than just kind of like, well, I got five of them here, and you know, four of them suck. <laughs> you know, it's not that's, really good. Amazon UK, right? Pretty much. Uh, yeah, that's that's where I got this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How much about is the whole box? Oh jeez, I don't know. I got a couple of years ago, but probably I'm pretty sure that I didn't pay more than forty dollars out of the exchange rate. I'll tell you that. Wow. Uh, so it's probably good. like probably like thirty dollars, uh, thirty pounds, something like that at the time. Wow. Maybe no, yeah. People, that's 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 worth it. Even for yeah, come on, five minutes of Michael Caine, it's worth it. <laughs> yes, and he's so uncomfortable. You really have to see that one to believe it. Uh, you know, it, it's not a horrible performance. It's just like he's young and you can really tell he's trying to break in, and he just is like, "What am I doing here?" I would love <laughs> to do a show on Michael Caine one day. That guy, the guy amazes me, man. A lot of people Michael don't like him. Really, I love David Warner. Or I love Albert Finney. I mean, you know, the, the whole crowd. Interesting guys, yeah. Interesting guys, yeah. But for me, Michael Caine is. Uh, He's just like he's still going, and he's like, we we were just you know the the missus didn't see Interstellar, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's not gonna understand this. She's she's gonna hate this fucking movie. And I really liked it. She got hooked on it, and I'm like, hey, that's Michael Caine, because we had just watched Dress to Kill for her the first time. <laughs> and, wow. And, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I saw it a gazillion times. I'm like, I blurted out. Oh my God, he's so good looking in this movie. She looks at me like, no, 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 no. He just, <laughs> not like <you> know, that. <laughs> yeah, not like that. Because he he really looked great. He was the best looking thing in that movie. And uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But maybe one day we'll put it on the on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I remember he did some things with Ken Russell. I mean, he did some strange movies. Uh, I can really kind of – I can see that one. That's definitely something for the back burner. Uh, but anyway, the thing is that I think that pretty much covers what I wanted to say about everything outside of the, the German Edgar Wallace and the Mabuza films themselves. So um, is there anything else you wanted to cover in that area or just go right to it? We're going to go right to it. Now, um yeah. <laughs> Because uh, because of time, um, um, well, I, I I was I, I told I told I told you off air that I was working on Edgar uh, Wallace bio and uh, a long time ago, and um, 
I have lots of notes, but I don't want to bore the hell out of people, so I'll just skip around. I mean, if anybody's really interested, uh, uh, I'll just spend a few minutes, and then we'll go right into the movies, because there's a lot of this stuff. Um, So, we don't care. He was born. We know that. Everybody gets born. So... uh, (laughs) He was in his teens when he was in uh, South Africa. There was the Boer War, 1896. Right. So I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to jump around. If you want me to like go deeper into anything, please let me know. Um, so he's in South Africa, and he hated the war, but he was a correspondent for uh, 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 the London Daily Mail back in England, naturally. And he wanted to really be a writer. So naturally, and I think he was what do you call a conscientious objector? Right. There were a lot of hints about that. So he actually got himself re or uh, restationed to the medical staff corps, which is, you know, like Mash. Yeah. And he started writing to Rudyard Kipling of all people, and um, the guy wrote back. So they started this pen pal thing, and Rudyard Kipling encouraged him to write columns. So Edgar Wallace started writing for a South African paper called the Cape Times, but he did not write about the war. He wrote stories, short stories. So uh, the guy gets discharged and um, he goes back to England. So it's now 1899. Wow, can you imagine? And um, so it turns out two years after coming back to England after the war, and they turned. It turned out they owed him a lot of money. He had no idea that all these stories he was writing for the South African newspaper, and the ones he was like uh, cabling back to England, were actually doing well for him. So they owed him six hundred pounds, which back you know nineteen hundred. That's a lot of money. Lot of yeah. money. So Edgar Wallace had three infallible things. He loved to gamble. He loved to fuck around. And he really mismanaged money. So the first thing he did was he bought racehorses and he lost big. (laughs) He married his childhood sweetheart who waited for him, but he cheated on her. Oh, you love this stuff, right? So, so, yeah, and she wanted a lot of money. She was a very smart woman. So now Edgar Wallace is with one of his mistresses, living with her, has a wife with like three kids who – you owe me a lot of money. Uh, this is like 1904 now. And he, he he sold his racehorses, but he keeps losing at the track. Yep. So he uh, essentially, I hope you guys are loving the way I'm doing this. So essentially, <laughs> he, he's got all these notes. He's got all these notes and a secretary who he's also fallen in love with, besides he has a mistress, who he's got all these notes for stories. And he goes to his publisher, who's been like the middleman for his uh, stuff he's been running for the London papers. And the guy says, why don't you write a, a serialized book, sort of like in the style of Arthur Conan Doyle? So The Four Just Men, that was the first Edgar Wallace story, uh, which was made umpteen times right. in films. And um, he got a lot of money. He got like 500 pounds lump sum for this. And, uh, again, that's a lot of money at this time period. So suddenly the guy's like, well, wait, I've got all these other stories I've been writing. So he starts churning them out. Um, 
So, by the time he died in 1932, I hope everybody's listening, I've ascertained he wrote 170 novels. Wow. Look, just Franco. (laughs) Yeah, just Franco. 17 plays and hundreds of short stories. Wow. Um, Now, the thing is... um, it was the time, and the guy was still alive, that there were probably six or seven books in shops. You can go to, to go walking down whatever the popular street was at this time, let's say in 1928 in London, and there might have been a small theater with live actors performing one of his productions. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if he was involved beyond writing, you know, the the. Uh, the stage play. The script, yeah. The script. And then he had four children. Um, we don't care about most of them, except for Brian Edgar, who was born right. in 1904. And Brian Edgar, as he got older, uh, probably saw, hey, Dad makes money. And uh, <laughs> and Brian Edgar also inherited his father's penchant for race tracks. Uh, must have been very popular. Was this a very popular Brit thing? I guess so. I didn't know. Must this. have been. <laughs> uh, racetracks, women, and booze. Uh, Edgar <laughs> Wallace loved coffee and alcohol. So, which is kind of odd to me that, uh, okay, coffee, because you're writing, writing, you're making money, you got all these bills to pay, etc. But the alcohol makes you drowsy, so I don't know. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, a surprise. lot of writers, especially the hard-boiled yeah. ones, are all booze hounds. Look at Mickey Spillane and people like that. You know. Yeah, me. Uh, so, Edgar, his first wife did not, she refused to grant him a divorce. So, at this point, 1920, the guy has umpteen mistresses living with them, and I guess they're coming, they're going, they're coming, they're going, and he has secretaries coming and going. So she finally granted him a divorce, his wife, in the U.S., which is interesting. And um, immediately thereafter, he marries his secretary. <laughs> what a smart guy. <laughs> um, he moved to the U.S., where he decided to make it his base. And so at this point in time, this guy is so prolific that legend has it he was dictating nearly 30,000 words a day to his secretary to have her type for story ideas. Can you imagine? That's a lot. That's a lot. Now, I'm going to skip a lot of Flotsam and Jetsam. Um, basically, he's doing pretty well. He uh, is His tide is turned financially because he... Uh, it's just writing so much. He's actually starting to get ahead of himself with money. And he tried to run for a seat in the British Parliament, uh, but uh, didn't let him in because he sucked because he was a gambler and a womanizer. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how much money, Donald Trump. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, So what happens is, in 1931, Edgar Wallace is, I skipped a lot of stuff, is invited to come to America by RKO Pictures to work on a movie script. 
and because uh, he he gave them a treatment for something called Beast. He said, uh, David O. Selznick, yes, that David O. Selznick actually saw this and said, "Come on over." So, Eggrolus is now in America. He's working on the uh, screenplay for King Kong, which you mentioned, and he died here. <laughs> yep. And uh, so that that being said, um, some of the things that you mentioned, I kind of want to dovetail here. While he was still alive, there was a um, serialized version of The Green Archer, one of his better stories. Uh, it was directed by Spencer Gordon Benet, who uh, people know from serials from the 40s. Right. Uh, he was he was pretty one of the better guys, one of the better directors. Uh, so he worked on The Silent, The Green Archer. Yeah, because there uh, was a talkie Green Archer later on. Uh, yes, um, there was. In serials of the 40s, but... This is a different one. Forties and done and done in uh, nineteen sixty, maybe with Lex Barker, maybe. Oh yeah, the movie itself, right? I was the serial. Yes, the movie. Yeah. Uh, other things that were he actually while he was alive, he got to see film versions of his stuff: the Terrible People, the Yellow Mask, the Crimson Circle, which we might discuss later. The German one, the Squealer, mm-hmm. which which the Germans mean as the Squeaker. Um, yep. And actually, the Squealer uh, starred Nigel Bruce. Yes. You all know him from uh, Watson, from the Sherlock Holmes movies, among other things. Yes. And also, he was, uh, who was that? Uh, Holly in She, uh, the yes. 1935 version of She, which was excellent, by the way. That's right. Now, Edgar's dead, so there's a lot going on. The, the pre. Hitler years in Germany were kind of, kind of crazy. Lots of, uh, lots of things going on. But filmmaking was still very popular. Czechoslovakian director Karl Limak did Derzinker, which mm-hmm. is actually another film version of The Squealer. It's a thirty-one. Um, there are a couple of other things now. Brian Edgar Wallace starts his writing thing, and he's of course. Uh, He's not as prolific as his father, of course. Uh, and by the 1950s, so he's still a young man. He very oddly, and this is actually true. I've seen a few of these. He would. I'm not sure if it's his fault or his agent, but he would write books, and they would have inspired by the writings of Edgar Wallace. So you have this book by Brian Edgar Wallace inspired by the writings of Edgar Wallace. So they were they were really trying to catch you know, cash in on uh, on his father's <laughs> fame <laughs> or name. Name let's say. So uh, the first no I mean here's where we, we we catch on with this. The first German company to make Edgar Wallace films Rialto. No, CCC. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Central Cinema Company. And um, they sort of worked with Brian because I, I guess he had something to do with the estate or something. And uh, they actually got Brian to come over and write some screenplays, which none of them were, were 
to their, I guess, to their appeal. So uh, probably the best thing that Brian ever wrote was Scotland Yard versus Dr. Mabuza, which you brought up earlier, which I wanted to discuss yes. with Taylor. And so, yeah, I guess he wasn't really a great writer. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, if you go by the films that they made on his stuff, they're not terrible. They're pretty close to Edgar Wallace in a way. They're just missing something. I mean, even when I showed them to my wife who loves Edgar Wallace films, she really – this is like a big thing for her. Uh, she would always kind of like, eh, something was wrong with that one. It didn't feel right. That wasn't an Edgar Wallace. And it was always a Brian Edgar Wallace. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, you know, there there are the the shorts made between sixty and sixty four, and you were close. There were thirty nine of them. What an odd, okay. odd, yeah, wow. And they were <laughs> all filmed. In, in, yeah, right. They were all filmed in Merton Park, which is like if you guys know Hammer, and remember our our Hammer show or no Hammer Law at all Hammer Films, they're pretty much uh, for the first ten years or so shot everything in Blackpool in this park area where they had the, this big house and then eventually bought adjacent houses. And Merton Park is like that. It's it's an, an area of like estate houses in a park area. And it was great for them to shoot movies on the cheap because, you know, they didn't really have to build sets. We just go to the house, we dress this living room. Yep. And uh, the, these 39 movies that you recommended uh, a while ago, um, we're pretty much all shot there, and uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, what is this? Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Just jumped. It was in my mind and jumped out of it. It's sort of like if you watch something of this ilk, you start recognizing. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, a Hammer film. Okay. Yeah. You know, any of them. You know, it's like you start recognizing the sets. You can only redress so much. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, so um, we don't need the titles. Of, I have all the titles of these bloody things. Um, so we got Europe and what's going on with there. So CCC had difficulty, the, the German film company I was just speaking of, had difficulty getting things off the ground. So they would enter into post-war. They were into co-productions co with other companies in the hope of trying to get their productions filmed, released. Right. So Constantine film, which I think still exists today. It does. They did the uh, Resident Evil film. Uh, they did oh, right. The you're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I know they're still around. Yeah. They, yeah. They just did another one. Uh, the newest one, actually, which hasn't come out yet. Where, like, two people died. You know, I was like, wow. Um <laughs> So Constantine film uh, hired uh, Fritz Rasp and Harold uh, to uh, star. Uh, yeah, I know who's he. Yeah, and Harold Lionel, who we mentioned before, uh, to make the the frog with the mask, the masked frog, or the frog with the mask. You know. So that Rialto. was not Rialto. Oh, Rialto. There we go. Okay. That was for Rialto. See what happened with CCC. Enter into a production deal with Brian Edgar Wallace. From what I gathered, they did not have enough funds at the time. Eventually, he did make a few of their own films. To shoot a movie, distribute this movie, get it out there. 
So they spent a couple of years working with him, and he couldn't, I, from what I can gather, he couldn't deliver shootable product, a good shooting script. So I guess he was smart enough to know that if you don't shoot, you don't pay him, you don't get a fucking movie. So they're stuck, but they probably had something concrete. So they they went into a, a Constantine film, who at the time was still a big company. They're big now. And but Constantine, I think, didn't really want to put big money behind something like this. We're talking 1959 in the spring. So they go to Rialto. So there's like actually three co-producers here, co-distributors as well. But The Frog with the Mask is the first one. And... uh we, do you want to jump in with this? Well, yeah. See, um, just wanted to say that the the idea we keep calling them creamies, and those who don't know, that's actually a derivation. You can probably pick up what it's saying, even uh, speaking English. Uh, it's a derivation of a longer thing that's like criminal film or something in German, yes. yeah. uh, which is basically yeah. you know it sounds well, it sounds like crime films. Um, there were a couple of other people, like I had mentioned earlier about Harry Allen Towers. Uh, he mm-hmm. did the Franco brought in one or two things that were supposedly Edgar Wallace, like uh, Devil Came from Akasaba for one, uh, but they weren't really. And it, the only other people that really did it, uh, Jer- Arthur Browner did it. Um, yes. And I think there was one other person, but uh, basically it, most of the ones you're going to be familiar with are out of Rialto. And yeah. as you mentioned, you know, there's some Constantine co-productions, but it's all Rialto. Uh, and I think most of them were with either um, uh, who we mentioned before, Harold Reinel, or um, who was the other – Alfred Vorer, I think, was the other director that did most of them. Alfred Vorer? Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot. Uh, yeah. Harold Reiner, Alfred, you know, for me, I thought Alfred Vorer did some of the best ones. Well, we'll get to that when we get there. I mean, I, okay. I like Harold Reiner a lot, but you know, both of them are good. There's no question about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You're, those who are not familiar with this series, you're not going to see that much of a difference, but there is. When you get to know, it's like, okay, yeah, I can see what this is this guy's film, this is that guy's film. There's also a big difference between, and sometimes it would actually start together. The ones that starred, and they didn't all have this, but usually they would have one of these guys as the lead hero. Uh, the ones that starred Joaquin Fuchsberger, uh, also known as Blackie, uh, as we saw in that great clip that uh, I think Tim Lucas found that last week. I shared that on Facebook, uh, where he was interviewing Patrick Minnie and uh, <laughs> and uh, Diana Rigg, and they were totally nonplussed because mm. he was just commanding the conversation the whole time in German and English. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, his films had a very different feel to the ones that uh, starred Heinz Drache. Um, yeah. Those two, nine times out of ten, if they did have a, quote, hero, uh, it was going to be one of those two guys. And like I mentioned, a couple of times they did star together, uh, but that was rare. Um, I really tend to, even though I like Drache, I really tend to prefer the Fuchsberger ones. They have a lighter oh, yeah. I'm sure he brought it with him as a personality. But they had yeah. a lighter touch. Uh, he was more of a ladies' man. He was the kind of guy that would stand there like the secretary would be up on a ladder and he'd look up her skirt and go, you know, give him the wolf whistle or, or smack well, the girl's ass or whatever. Yeah, but there was something about Fuchsberger that transcended, and that's probably why he was able to work well into his 80s. He, he looked mature even when he was young he had like uh, his hair prematurely went white or gray with a shock of black and but, but he, he always young. looked yeah 
And he always looked like you could trust him. He very yeah. rarely played a villain or a a uh, a heavy or a heavy. Thank you. He very rarely played that kind of role. And when he did it, I think it was fine. He was a decent actor. Um, yeah. But when when he played heroic parts, or he was a, a lawman or a uh, detective. I mean, it's more than acceptable, more than acceptable. And uh, uh, I think they did try to bring him here, uh, crossover, but I think it was too late. It didn't work that late. well, yeah. Uh, he, he did show up in a couple of uh, Euro spy type things. And usually, uh, I hate to say a bit poor because it wasn't really that, but he was like, oh, look, here's the inspector from Europe who's coming over from Interpol or whatever. And he really yeah. had a almost like fourth string kind of part. Uh, yeah. And he didn't distinguish himself like the way he did over there. I guess maybe he was uncomfortable speaking in English and being in a different country. Who knows? Uh, but it was not the same persona. He didn't bring that with well, him. Well, yeah, I, I think the other thing, too, was his accent was a bit uh, thick as opposed to, oh, who's in Cat of Nine Tails? The German actor, blonde hair. Oh, uh, yeah. Jeez. Um, Horst, um, uh, Horst, uh, not Horst Frank. It was a uh, Horst. Um, what, what was a Horst Frank? Horst Frank from uh, uh, Thirteen Days to Die. I didn't think it was yeah, him. I think I think it was him. Was right? oh, okay. Blonde hair, yeah, yeah. Who who actually had a really good his 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 English speaking voice was actually tinged with a, an English accent. So he, for him it worked. Again, he's another guy that didn't do well over here, because he primarily played villains. Nobody wants to pay money to see a bad guy. Um, yeah. Fuchsberger, he spoke well enough English, but you could tell that he was a, not a native speaker. Uh, yeah. Those of you who have any familiarity or any feelings <laughs> with Germans, you know they tend to end uh, sentences as a question, yes, and then I want to come here, yes. Uh, okay, you know, it's always like with that lilt at the end and that question mark, and a yes, he did that constantly. So I can imagine that uh, if they weren't going to dub him over, that would always be not a problem, but just something you would notice right away. It's like, Definitely what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. yeah, he's not like a he's not a local yokel. <laughs> so, um, so the the frog with the mask uh, is really cool because actually it yes. adheres somewhat to the story, the original Agrawal story. With the frog, who's like this super villain, uh, it's a bunch of guys that do robberies and they wear <laughs> frog-like masks. Well, yeah, you know, they wear gas masks, a little unusual ones. And they're up against Scotland Yard, an American amateur detective, uh, played by Joachim Fuchsberger. And uh, of course, this also establishes a couple things. First off, it's got this great fog-bound atmosphere. Uh, there's that sense of like the old dark house thing where they're all sort of trapped there on this estate. Uh, not really true, but it feels that way, especially in certain parts uh, with this maniac out and loose on the lawn and you know, don't let him in kind of thing. And of course, this guy's going around in a mask that sort of vaguely looks frog-like, I guess, in a you know like a Marvel Comics sort of a sense, uh, and a cape. And they also introduce Eddie Arendt. This is another, yes. not necessarily a problem, but something you're going to have to deal with if you go into Edgar Wallace uh, films, is that they love their comic relief. Um, He's I like know the Stan Laurel, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know the Germans have this reputation for having no sense of humor. That's bullshit. Um, but they have a <laughs> different sense of humor. Uh, it's very boisterous, actually. But 
if you've seen their sex comedies or if you've seen Edgar Wallace films, you can see the way that it runs. It's more slapsticky and um, uh, not even nasty. It's not like, oh, at the expense of somebody else, but it's more just kind of uh, – Beer hall. I mean, I guess we could picture that. You know, get a couple of drunken friends together and you know, mm-hmm. souse them with beers or whatever the hell, and then see what happens. That sort of a level of humor is what you're seeing there. Uh, and Eddie Aaron was kind of like this dopey. I guess almost Stan Laurel. You're right. I mean, uh, he always seemed lost. Usually they had him playing, especially in the dubs. He would always be like the butler or the manservant or the yeah. um, the chauffeur or whatever the hell. Uh, and but, the but second not detective. To cut you off, but as Eddie Aaron aged, he and 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 either Joaquin moved out or on, they started using Eddie Aaron as a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, which is really interesting. That was fascinating. I think in Circus of Fear, even over here with uh, England, they did that. Um, yeah. And I couldn't believe it. In the beginning, it was a shock because everybody was, and actually, that's why they used him uh, because everybody was so used to Eddie Aaron as the good, clueless guy that was always just there for the laugh. And, like, you know, all the jokes we played on him, he would miss everything. Like, what just happened here? That sort of a thing. Um, you know, he would kind of walk into the room last minute and not know what happened and ask a stupid question. Everybody would kind of laugh at him or, you know, maybe he'd have like a, a vase fall on his head and get, you know, ruin his suit. You know, the cheap, you know, like slapsticky humor like that. Um, in the beginning, the first couple times we saw him, like, oh, fuck Eddie Aaron again. After a while, I was like, you got used to it. I'm like, all right. Okay. You got used you know. to it. Yeah, but I mean, then, and there were other copycasts that weren't as good as him. So you, then you really start yeah. to appreciate him. I'm like, okay, Eddie Aaron should be here. Good. <laughs> One thing I wanted to point out about the this uh, this frog with the mask is that it, it's based on the the Edgar Wallace story, Fellowship of the Frog. But, and this is really really interesting to me, is that the German uh, screenplay writers I, I want to murder their names because my German is not great um, decided to have the supervillain's name be Harry Lime. Yes. Yes, and um, so and this carried over to a couple of other pictures where we had this character, the frog. Um, you know, Harry Lime is from The Third Man, the Carol Reed film, played by Orson Welles. And so, like, Harry Lime? So somebody at some point decided, I have to ascertain that they decided, when they started, again, this is like the first one, 1959, they decided, well, maybe these Edgar Wallace stories, there's something in them. But maybe it's a little too archaic. So uh, what's what's this really popular movie here? Yeah, maybe maybe we can put this and mix it up. That's and what I, I was going to say. There's yeah. a few things that we should mention here before we get too far into the films themselves. Is that first off, there were less of them than there were of those British ones. There was only like 30 or 32 of them, as opposed to the 40 that were over with uh, England, or 39 as it was. Um, most of them, actually, once you start getting into the mid-60s, uh, they were in color, believe it or not. The earlier ones, like Frog with Mask and things, they were black and white, so fine. But later on, they all turned to be in color. Um, originally, like you mentioned, there was they were faithful or, or tried to be faithful to the Edgar Wallace novels. But like you were saying, after a while, they started like, well, you know what, let's bring in some other stuff. And uh, I think we've had enough of these novels. And even though they would use bits and pieces of Edgar Wallace novels, it became like the Bond films where they're just like, ah, screw it, this works better. Let's let's throw this in. <laughs> you know, they, they played like Italian chef. Like, oh, no, let's throw in some more pepper. Oh, okay, well, garlic, olive oil. I don't know what the hell. Yeah, throw, throw some fish in there. Let's see if we can make this better. And that's what happened. 
uh, the film started getting further and further afield. Didn't mean they were any worse. As a matter of fact, some of the, the later ones are pretty damn good. It's just they became something else. Uh, and yet, there was a sense of consistency because nine times out of ten, it was one of those two directors, either Reinald or Var. Uh, nine times out of ten, you had one of those two guys as the lead, either Fuchsberger or Draca. Uh, you usually had Eddie Aaron in there. Uh, you had other people that were in there a lot. Siegfried Schoenberg a lot. Um, Karen Dorr popped up several times. Uh, Kinski. Klaus Kinski kind of started his career here before he went into the spaghetti westerns, before he got involved with uh, his best fiend there. Uh, who, who the hell's the guy he always worked with? Uh, the German director, and it was a little nuts himself. Oh, uh, oh, oh. Um, You know, Fritz Corraldo. Herzog, yeah. Before he got involved with Herzog uh, and started doing all kinds of shit like that. I would like to digress from it. There's two that I know of. There's two people working on Klaus Kinski books right now. And one person posted a couple of weeks ago, I have all 39 Klaus Kinski movies. I'm like, I 39? don't want to go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what, what am I going to say? What am I going to say, right? The guy, the, the guy was very prolific. Uh, as I had mentioned, we talked about Kinski a couple of weeks ago. I forgot what he came up with. And oh, it might have been uh, Franco, one of our last Franco ones. Yeah. And I mentioned Frank uh, Kinski was a money whore. Uh, he would star in anything and anything and everything you put in front of him, as long as yes. he gave a check and he could fuck some girls on the set. That's all he cared about. So yeah. he would show up in dozens of spaghetti westerns, having maybe two lines or maybe even no lines. Just he come in and scowl and leave. Uh, he was on screen for like two minutes, and they would top bill him because oh, Klaus Kinski's in this because he's an international. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, this guy was in so many freaking films. I don't want to say it was something like you know the Franco films were in two hundred, but he was in a lot more than thirty nine films. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm not even going to like put my money down for these things. Uh, but I, it's, yeah, uh, what I was going to say is that he cut his teeth on these Edgar Wallace films. So yes. not everyone, but out of these thirty nine films, he must have been in about twenty eight, thirty two of them. Um, really, probably literally twenty eight, somewhere in that range, but. Constantly, he was usually the red herring. He usually was not the bad guy, but maybe he was a thug. You know, maybe he was just some shady guy that they brought in. You know, a usual suspect, if you will. Maybe he was uh, the the seedy caretaker. You know, whatever. Uh, somehow he would be there, looking menacing and weird, and everybody like, oh, I don't think. Or nervous and jittery. Or nervous and jittery. He did that really well too. Oh, yeah, he was scared in a lot of them. Like, oh, he's going to get me, he's going to get me, and of course he does. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, it was. this is actually where I uh, I always say I fell in love with Kinski, uh, and my wife as well. Uh, it was not so much in his later stuff, even though I came to love that, because, oh, look, it's Kinski, and he's getting even more fucking nuts than he already was. But, you know, it was from these films, because over and over, there he is. And that's the thing with these films. They tended to cast the same actors over and over again, if not as the exact same character, then certainly right. as the same archetype or the same role. And they didn't worry about it. It wasn't like, ah, okay, everybody's going to get bored of seeing this guy that way. The only one that ever changed roles, that ever surprised you, was Eddie Aaron, like you mentioned. Uh, and that was kind of towards the end of the series. Um, um, the Red Circle yeah. was next. I think that was a, it's a lesser movie. I thought it was kind of yeah. like not great. It's about a murderer. In London, of course. Nearly all these things take place in England. I think they do. Um, uh, yeah, 
if, if they weren't yeah. set in England per se, they made it look like it was. Just like in the novels, yeah. they, they got that from the Wallace films themselves. Uh, usually around London or you know maybe some mansion or an old family estate or a castle. You know, even though a lot of times, obviously, they're filming in Germany. They weren't going to go over to England for all this shit. But that's where it was always said. It was always something in London. Um, you know, and it, it was a little bit like Franco because you got a lot of time yeah. spent in nightclubs and bars and, you know, whatever the hell else. Uh, not so it was strip acts, but same idea. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this film, Crimson Circle, uh <sighs> The only person that was in it that anybody would recognize from the later films, because again, almost every film has one of these guys in it, was Eddie Aaron. There was no, yeah. you, know, you don't have anybody else that you can latch onto here. Um, and I believe right. one of the leads was even bearded. It was this like kind of bovine bearded fellow, <laughs> and, and his his manner was unusual. Um, that being said, it's it, the shame of it all is it's from one of the Baker Edgar Wallace books, The Crimson Circle, you know, about a, uh, a group of judges and right. uh, uh, to, you know, enforce their own brand of justice on people who, you know, slip through the system. And uh, it's a decent book, but um, the rewrite of this is not great, and it's just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we move on to the Avenger. Um, it's better. I like it better than the Crimson Circle. It's definitely more in the right line. It's also uh, the first one that has Heinz Draka as the lead instead of uh, Fuchsberger. Uh, Kinski's in it for the first time. Uh, and Siegfried Schoenberg, who I mentioned earlier, he always played, at least in the English dubs, he was always Sir John. He was, uh, I guess he was the police captain, the one that they were reported to. Uh, yeah. He was kind of like the, the royalty, if you will, that they would go to for whatever. I also got the impression that he was sort of the local magistrate or you know, local rich guy because somehow they always went to his fancy-ass place to go and talk to him. Uh, but, you know, likable, handlebar mustache, kind of goofy. Again, they played it for laughs. Usually Eddie Arendt would play against him as being like the two goofballs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had a lot of like wool pulled over his eyes and uh, you know cheap slapsticky jokes pulled on him. But not to the extent of being, oh, look, he's the comic relief. He was more of a serious-ish character. It was just one you could have fun with, kind of like a an uncle figure, I guess. Um, right. But, you know, anything you want to say about the Avenger or... Um, well, uh, I kind of had the hots briefly for Ingrid Van Bergen. Yeah. She she of the pneumatic breasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's you. <laughs> but, thank you. Uh, but she was a bit stiff as an actress. Um, so, uh, it's funny, though. This was, uh, if anybody remembers, I don't even know if they're still in business anymore, um, was that mail order video company VHS? Um, Sinister. Oh yeah, oh, they were last yeah. yeah, I think they are the, still racks. They're still on Amazon or something. They're, they're shame. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Because I've seen uh, some moves. I'm like, how could they possibly have? Oh, Sinister. All right. <laughs> oh really? Okay, cool. Uh, Sinister were uh, one of the first people actually to uh, come up with 16 English dubbed, of course, 16 millimeter print. Transfers of some of these things, and uh, I always remember the the Avenger. I have a fun spot, sort of, for it was one of the early ones mm-hmm. they released, and one of the early ones I saw. Um, I it's watchable. It's not yeah, great. Nothing wrong with it. I like it. It's it's probably better than the Crimson Circle. It's just not, not great. And um, I think it's also better than the Green Archer. 
And you got to remember, these are still different directors. You know, the Crimson Circle is Jurgen Roland, uh, the Avengers, uh, Kurt Yurik. Um, you know, later on, you got the Jurgen Roland again doing the Green Archer. I mean, there's, there's a couple of strange people in here that don't fit into the usual pattern. Um, right. The terrible people again. I, I thought it was decent. Um, they brought in another couple people that, you know, again, as you go through the series, it's bringing more people that you'll start seeing over and over. Uh, Fuchsberger's the lead, Eddie Aaron's in it, but now they've got Karen Dorr, who tended to be the uh, the love interest, if you will. I don't know why. I mean, we know why. Speaking of pneumatic. <laughs> yeah, we know why behind the scenes, since he was uh, his wife, but yeah. I really never liked her. I always got a bad vibe from her. Uh, my drummer thought she was great. He was totally hot for her. But I was like, I don't know. She seems like a bitch to me. <laughs> well, I, I know I know she's on the cover of one of my books, but that wasn't me. That was my publisher. But I have to say that I have to agree with you seriously, though. She was a cold actress. Yes. She had no depth, no feeling to her. Um, One of the few times that that movie I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, that the Harold Lionel... Baron Sadism thing, which was uh, yeah. I think German. Well, that was uh, one of her better ones. That was one of her better ones. Yeah, she was. She actually blew it in the Bond movie. She yes. got a big shot in the Bond movie, and um, she was doing her usual shtick. You know, yep. uh, you only live twice. She's in. You only live twice, and and she sucked in that. You know, just, exactly. I barely remembered her. I was like, ah, okay, bring on the Japanese girls. Let me see Akiko Kobayashi, or how her name was, and <laughs> or Wakabayashi. Uh, <laughs> right, she's the girl on the plane. She's the girl on the plane. She's the um, the secretary to so and so, and she's gonna down the plane and jump off the freaking plane. And, yep. You know, and Sean looks at her like, "I'm gonna fuck you and then kill you." But you know, <laughs> you, know <laughs> you know that way Sean Connery had of looking at people. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, but there's one other person that gets introduced in this film that will pop up not as often, but enough. It's usually as the uh, the evil uh, elderly, um, you know, either the madam or the crime ringleader or whatever was. Uh, oh yes, yes. Flickenschlit, uh, or Flickenschilt, I should say. Uh, she pops up in a lot of stuff, like in by the river and things like that later. But she was in Terrible People for the first time, uh, the first time in the series, I should say. Um, anything else you want to say on this one? I mean, you know. No, no, it, it's and it's much better than the Forger of London, which yeah. I found to be wanting. Um, they tended to get into this thing again, ba- from what I think. <coughs> pardon me. From what I think is based on a decent Edgar Wallace story, The Forger, written in '28. Um, this one was kind of dull. Um, yeah. And you know what else is just like that, and they always love to bring it over and talk about how great it is, is Dead Eyes of London. Uh, they yeah. made it with a Bela Lugosi movie in uh, the 1932, an English one, uh, with Tor Johnson, I think, was in the damn thing. But yes, I didn't just, mention that. Yes, it, yes, yeah. it doesn't really work that well. I mean, yeah. All right, so this one here, the German one, you got Fuchsberger, you got Eddie Arndt, uh, Karen Balls in it, who pops up in a couple of these things, uh, different from Karen Dorr, and Kinski's in it, but... You know, it's not it's not a bad story. It's just it feels like we've seen it too many times, and people always it's like the first one to show. If they're gonna show one on TV somehow, you're gonna see it that one. If they're gonna put it out on DVD, damn it, you got the fifteenth copy of it. And in terms of entertainment value, it's probably one of the least of all Edgar Wallace films. And yet, you know, people talk about it like it's so great, but probably because it's the first one they see. Um, well, the I I think for me one of the one of the 
uh, one of the positive notes, if it could be attributed to this film, or I'm, I'm on ball tonight, is that uh, this has a, a bit of a easier, especially for 1961 or 60, vibe to it. Is you know, a lot of it takes place in the uh, was it an asylum or a home for homeless men? I can't remember. It, yeah, homeless men. Okay. Like, yeah. And the, you know, the guys are running this criminal organization. Hence the connection to Mabuza, which we're going to get to later. Right. Um, the uh, they do some like kind of creepy little freaking things, and especially when they kidnap the women in this movie. You know, it's. There's like a lot of allusions to like how far are these guys going to go. And I'm not talking about raping, but I'm talking about no. uh, brutality. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely a, an air of brutality in this film that will pop up in some of the better ones. But then again, yeah, this, this movie, I have to agree with you. Yeah, if it's the first one you see, I'm sure a lot of people, this is the first one for them they see, so it's just so great. But yeah, there are a lot better ones. A bunch of blind folks at a YMCA, and then you know, of course you got the criminal ring underneath it, and the ones who are really not blind. And, you know, it's, <laughs> you know it, it just gets kind of like, all right, this is cute the first time you see it, but then all right, enough, right? That really wasn't that good. Yeah. Um, but much better than the Strange Countess, which was another one that that uh, the Strange Countess. Yeah, that was. Uh, how do you say that one? Uh, Fuchsberger, Kinski, and Eddie Aaron are in it. It's not bad. Um, Believe it or not, it was not an Elizabeth Flickenshaw because I would have thought she would take that role. Uh, but the woman didn't seem that much younger to me. She had the same sort of bone structure and haughty yeah. demeanor, and uh, I don't know. Was, I, my memories of it were not fantastic. It wasn't like it was bad. You know, I enjoy Edgar Wallace films. Anyone, even if when I say, "Oh, I was terrible," I still enjoyed the damn things. But it was like. Eh, that's not one of the ones I would run for. Uh, nor is, and I'll jump ahead here in this one, or actually backwards, uh, The Green Archer, which, you know, you mentioned before, they made a couple serials out of it. Uh, this is, I don't know, maybe the third or fourth time they made this damn thing. Uh, Jurgen Rowland pulled this together with Karen Dura, Eddie Arendt, Gert Froba. Gert Froba's in the damn thing, who went on to uh, Goldfinger uh, not long after. But, and he would also pop up in a couple of these. Um, usually very likable, unlike his Goldfinger character, which was just kind of uh, cheery but you know, evil. Here he's more just cheery and ha, ha, ha. Uh, he's usually the inspector or something. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it wasn't bad. Uh, Green Archer is definitely better than you know the other ones we were just talking about. But, yeah. you know, is it one of his greats? Eh. Uh, at least not in terms of the German creamies. Um, so anything you want to cover on either of those two, since I kind of jump back and forth no, there? No. Um, uh, I was going to mention the Puzzle of the Red Orchid next. Yes, Secret Red Orchid. Actually, you know what you might want to drop in there is, uh, and is it really the German one or not, Devil's Daffodil, which was actually yes. directed by a Greek fellow, Akos Rothany. Uh, mm. Fuchsberger, Kinski, and Christopher Lee are in this one. Uh, and that's probably his biggest point of interest is that Christopher Lee's in it. He only popped up in a couple of these. Um, but, you know, is it great? I don't know. Is, is it the one with the uh, the racetrack, once again? Because I know uh, one of the ones with uh, Christopher Lee was, was a racetrack job. Maybe that was the No, black. no, this one, I think this one was a narcotics gang. I don't think the racetrack's in this one. Oh, maybe that's Secret of Red Orchid. Yeah, I think it's Red Orchid, actually. Okay. So, all right, so we're jumping around a bit there. Um... 
But actually, we can kind of tackle both of those at once. So there's another Christopher Lee one, Secret of the Red Orchid, uh, a fellow named Helmut Ashley directed that. Adrian Hovind's in it. Uh, we mentioned him previously for actually for things like uh, what the hell is it? Gross Mark of the Devil. Right? Mark of the Devil, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And he worked a lot with uh, the, the Mike, Michel Lenoir uh, when we talked about the French films and the Franco films. Um, Marissa Mel's in the damn thing. Kinski, Eddie Arndt. But you know, it's not bad. Uh, I didn't mind it, but again, the, the horse racing thing—I don't know. I, I just—I yeah. I, kind of get turned off when I see that as a major plot role. If they stop there in the middle of a thing, like okay, let's go to the horse track. All right, fine. But if they're gonna, this is gonna be where everything goes on. Even like Charlie Chan at the racetrack was like, eh, eh, nah, not really my thing. Um, so, what did you want? Did you want to tackle those two together? I mean, what, what did you want to say with the two Christopher well, Lee ones? Well, you know, I, Neither one of them are great. They're certainly watchable, you know, because the the cast, you know, Christopher again, Christopher Lee's in both of them. Marissa Mel's in both of them. Yes. Curiously enough. Uh Adrian Hogan's fine and in one Joaquin Fuchsberger's fine in the other. Um there the first one, The Devil's Daffodil, is kinda interesting because who plays the Hong Kong detective? Come on, come on. Oh jeez, I don't remember. Was it's it Christopher Clark? Lee. Christopher Lee playing a Hong Kong detective. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had his, he had this he had this very slight eye makeup, and wow. and this is pre Fu Manchu for him. <laughs> so he's he's I, I don't know Chinese fat. Says Chinese like Christopher Lee. Good yes. lord. <laughs> but uh, he was a Hong Kong detective, and of course, walking uh, is Scotland Yard, and. Uh, they're chasing bad guys. Enough, enough to be said. But it's a narcotics gang they were after, so it's got a little bit of 1960s um, uh, vibe going on there. The other one is just overreaching, and it tries to go backwards and forwards at the same time. That's why it doesn't work. The puzzle of the yeah. red orc, because it tries to be like a neo 30s gangster film, an American gangster film. Yes. With with London. And the American gangs at each other's throats over a blackmail system and horse racing. And it's like, who gives a shit? It's not a great mm-hmm. movie. Helmuth Ashley is, again, a lesser director in the uh, Edgar Wallace canon. I guess, I, I, I guess I'm safe to say that. And, yeah, you know, Adrian Hoffman, he's he's serviceable in some things. Uh, Cave of the Living Dead, he was fine. He wasn't great. Oh, he's great there. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, this kind of thing, he's not the go-to guy, you know? Exactly. And Chris Lee playing the FBI guy, why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he he saves it, but he's not in it a lot, which leads me to believe that around this time period, 61, he was working like the devil, you know? Guy's busy, busy, busy. So, show your scenes and get out, you know? So now we actually get into a batch of Alfred Rohrer films, uh, some of which I can see why you thought his were better. I don't necessarily agree with that statement, but uh, when it comes to something like the In, with, In on the River and the Squeaker, those were both really good. Uh, those, yeah. They're definitely up there in my top ten of the Edgar Wallace uh, adaptations here from Germany. Mm-hmm. Um in on the River, uh, you got Fuchsberger, uh, Elizabeth Flickenshill, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Kinski, Aaron, and Schoenberg. So it's pretty much like an all-star. You know, everybody that's there is, is in it. You know, the only people you don't have is Karen Dorr and Draka. Um, you know, it, it's – there is that 
feeling of, okay, you've got this kind of tavern on the wharf sort of a thing, and there's always dirty dealings going on. Fucking show, of course, is this sleazy um, – what was she, like a, a gun runner? It was that sort of a thing. She was running the, the crime yeah. organization. Um, and it felt like – and this is where the Edgar Wallace films really work. Uh, it felt like a Sax Romer novel. It felt very yeah. Fu Manchu-like. Uh, you know, instead of going to Limehouse out in the docks there – here it's, I mean, I guess technically it could be because they tried to set them in London. Uh, same idea. You're out in the docks, and here's this shitty old, you know, wharf rat tavern, basically, with two levels. And there's all these dirty dealings going on upstairs and downstairs and out on the pier. And, you know, you better not investigate too hard or you're going to might find a knife in your back. That sort of a thing. Uh, very atmospheric, very dark, and loads of fun. I really, really enjoyed that one. And, of course, the squeaker is more... I guess it's sort of a revenge picture uh, with a guy that nowadays they probably consider him like an anti-hero, almost like a superhero movie or something. Mm-hmm. But it's really not. You know, he's really just kind of going against revenge, basically. Um, but you know, in sneaky ways and eluding the police, and he keeps leaving things behind for him. They almost catch him all the time, and it, it's really a lot of fun. And that one has uh, Draka, Schoenberg, uh, Kinski, and Aaron in it, so it's pretty close. Again, almost an all-star cast. These two are definitely up there with you know. Again, like you mentioned earlier, the Fellowship of the Frog. I would put that up there as a really good one too. Uh, probably some of the best ones we've seen so far in the the uh, the cycle. So, is there anything you want to say about them? Uh, those two, no. Uh, around the same period, though, we have The Curse of the Yellow Snake, which yes. was by, finally, by this time, Cinema City actually got enough money to make a movie. Wow. It's true. <laughs> it was a CCC. Franz Joseph yeah. Gottlieb did it. Um, Fuchsberger and Eddie Aaron are in it. Um, and Werner it, Peters. Werner Peters. Yes, Werner Peters. You're right. Yeah. Uh, it was different feeling, but I still kind of liked it. Uh, it did not feel the same uh, vibe as the Rhinos or the Varrers. It was more of a... How would you describe it? I mean... It was. It know, actually talk- came off... Yeah, it actually came off more of like a spy type movie. Yeah, yeah. In, in a way, like more of a... Not that there was really espionage per se going on. It's It's... No, just that feel that you're sort of your yeah, spy ish. Yeah. 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 Uh but you know, I liked it. It wasn't like there's was anything wrong with it. It just felt different. And you know, again, it was a different company and a different uh director. Um the action one that we had passed well done. the action was well done in that. Yes, it was. Uh, the one that we passed over in this when I mentioned the three Varrors was uh, Door with the Seven Locks, which the British which version of this, yeah. yeah, the British version of this was kind of turgid, but this mm-hmm. one was actually decent. Um, and again, this is one of the ones um, with, with Draka as the lead, which again it didn't happen as often. Fuchsberg tended to be the lead more often. Uh, so Hans Draka's in it, Eddie Arendt, Shepard Schoenberg, Klaus Kinsey. Again, you're getting this kind of a uh, what do they call that? Uh, a house uh, group of people that they continually cycle through and they continually use. You'll see that a lot with Shaw Brothers when we get to that show. Uh, they've got their in-house actors that they're just going to keep putting in film after film and often together. And then maybe they'll cycle one of them out and put another two in and cycle those two out and put another one in. And But they're mm-hmm. always going to be showing up. And it gives you this sense of 
uh, comfort and familiarity. I mean, if you don't like them, it might be, oh, God, these people again. But, you know, once you start getting used to it, it's like, oh, okay, here they are again. And it gives you this sense of, like, uh, almost like eating comfort food, I guess. You're like, oh, okay, well, I know what's going to be here, so cool. No matter what else happens, I know that, the, you know, these guys are in it and this director's doing it. We're good. Um, so, you know, is there anything you want to mention before we move on to the next one, which is uh, uh, actually a good one? This? Yeah, but I always felt that the, the lead actress in this movie was weak. Uh, Sabrina, Sabina Sesselman, um, I, I guess everybody else was unavailable, and we, they thought she was hot. Yeah, she's fine. She's fine. Yeah. Brunette. Um, I, I, but it, it's that role is is important to the plot. So when your actress is weak, it kind of makes you like if, for lack of a better person, if Karen Dorr was in, it, I think it would have even been better. But it's a fine film. Yeah, yeah. enjoyable. Uh, so the, the fact that I said this is a good one is interesting because it's actually another Franz Joseph Gottlieb uh, with Fuchsberg, Eddie Aaron, and Klaus Kinsey, which is The Black Abbott. But yeah. I remember always liking this one. Um, so go ahead. You, you can give them the plot or whatever. It's been years since I've seen these damn things. <laughs> well, the, well, The Black Abbott is, 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 is actually a fun, interesting picture. Uh, I think it's 63. You have what's supposed to be... Uh, Judged an insane lord uh, and a master criminal who sort of match. Uh, they're on they're on their own tangents, going after uh, treasure that's secreted away in the monastery. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's you know, what I remember the monastery right. bit. And I was like, okay, this, it's almost like a haunted monastery. Like, Ooh, this is almost nice. like a haunted <laughs> monastery. And at po- at points along the way, the um, even the uh, the detective, Joaquin Fuchsberger, I figured, uh, winds up siding with the. What we have to assume they were they were calling him insane, but he's just like an escaped convict, master criminal. He's not insane, right? Um, he just likes to kill people, but doesn't everybody? <laughs> so, uh, it's a fun movie. It's a. The the photography, the cinematography is really great on this too. I was, I always remember that really standing out for me. And um, also to shoot a hole in the Vora theory, here was a weak one from him, which is the Indian scarf, uh, with Draka Kinski, Schoenberg, Aaron, and Flickin' Schultz. So basically everybody's in the damn thing. Um, but I don't know, it just didn't work. No. Uh, anything you want to throw in on that one or? No, it's another. It's another. Almost, almost. Um, well, from what I can ascertain, this was actually based on a play by Erica Wallace, The Frightened Lady, which she then turned into a novel. So probably failed on all cylinders. Um, <laughs> the the it's you know an old dark house story. So you have got your Agatha Christie thing, the reading of the will, the heirs suspending the knights in the country home. One by one, they're strangled by an Indian scarf. You know, the assailant right. is using, uh, uh, like, you know, a florid scarf. It's a black and white movie. Just take it for our word. That's florid. Um, it's kind of weak. I think, I think yeah. even though it's Alfred Verr, it's just uh, something happened along the way. Maybe they realized they were working with lesser material. Um, although they you know, continue to have a decent cast, it's just... It's okay. No? Yeah. 
But then we get one that's actually one of the strongest ones again, another one of my all-time favorites here. So put it up with those ones I mentioned earlier, uh, which is a Harold Rhino, which is Zimmer 13, Room 13. Uh, mm-hmm. Fuchsberger, Karen Dorr shows up in this one again, Schoenberg, Eric Yarrett. Um it feels a little bit more London-esque. It, it's a little bit less of the uh, atmospheric, oh, look, we're out in the countryside in a rich mansion. This is a little bit more down market in a way. But again, it feels very – I don't know. It just works for me. It feels very um, realist in a sense, you know, considering that these things are totally like fantasy and comic book. Um I don't know. It just—it was always something that stood out to me. There's a lot, enough twists and turns. There's enough uh, concern for the characters. There's enough. Um, um, I don't know what you want to say uh, to make it really work. What, what did you want to put in on this one? It's an interesting movie. Uh, I found some of it to be a little drawing room slow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's some. But 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 no, I have to agree. That, pardon me. I have to agree that you do feel the, the feel of London in this film. Yes. Um, so after that, they jump out to uh, there's a Constantine film one, uh, which was uh, Harry on Towers, Death Drums Along the River. I never saw it, so I can't comment. Um, then we do The Curse of the Hidden Vault, which was another Francis Joseph Gottlieb. I don't remember being very good. Uh, and this is actually one of the first ones that has Harold Liebnitz in it uh, as the lead with uh, Schoenberg, Kinski, and Aaron. Um, maybe that's one of the reasons it's weak. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, The Ringer comes out next, which was also known as The Mysterious Magician. Again, another good one. Uh, I, I like that one. Yeah. This is a Vora, and this is one of those rare ones that has Fuchsberg and Draka, plus Schoenberg and Eddie Arrett. Uh Again, another one of my favorites. It's got a very similar feeling to The Squeaker. Um, it's I supposed conf- to be a sequel, I think. Yeah, I, was say, I actually confuse the two a lot because it feels like it's the same characters, the same uh, things happening. Uh, again, you know, the guy is going out for revenge, or they're trying to catch him, and he's always one step ahead of the law, and yet you're rooting for him most of the time. Uh, very good. Uh, Traitor's Gate, which I've never seen. It's a Freddie Francis. Uh, but, and it has a few creamy regulars in the middle of the uh, the British cast, uh, like Eddie Aaron and Klaus Kinski. But then you've got people like Catherine Schell and Katie Wilde in there, too. Again, I have not seen it. I can't comment. Um, then you have, again, The Ringer, which is another one uh, from Vora. He just kind of stuck to it. This time just says uh, Draka, Schoenberg, Kinski, and Aaron. Uh, the Sinister Monk, which was a rhino with uh, Karen Doerr, Harold Liebnitz again. Uh, Schoenberg, Aaron, and Ushi Gloss, who popped up in a couple of these things. Again, I like The Sinister Monk. It wasn't as good as uh, Black Abbott. But, mm. you know, you've got that sort of... Um, how would you put it? Uh, this sort of uh, frisson of Catholic whatever the hell mixed with – when you see somebody running around like the one in the College Girl Murders, right away you're like, why is this guy running around in a fucking clan hood? So there's like this all kinds of things that like, ooh, what's this doing here? Why is this like you know ringing off all sorts of bells? And it it keeps you interested, especially since that's not where it's going. It's just kind of right. – <laughs> it's an Edgar Wallace film. But you're like, well, it gets you on edge for a second, and then it gets you into it. So I'm like, okay. Uh, I definitely like that one. That's that's also the last one in color, Uh, black and white. Black and white, right. Uh, So then, unless there's anything you want to say about any of those, uh, then we move into the color, which was uh, The Hunchback of Soho. Uh, That's a Vora. Siegfried Schoenberg and Eddie Aaron are the only regulars in it. I liked it. Um... 
I don't have strong memories of it. Let's put it that way. Uh, what, what did you think about this one? Um, I think about this time period, they were trying to actually compete with maybe stronger films. Yeah. You know, uh, stronger movies being out there. Maybe there was a lot more hints at which is to come. Nudity and... Uh, um, violence, especially toward women, so that def- definitely shows up in this film. Yes, um, it's not a great movie, but it's very watchable. Film. It's very yeah. watchable. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a novelty if you've just been watching them more or less in order and seeing all these black and whites. All of a sudden, there's one in color. You know, it may work for you, it may not, but the color is very day glow in '60s, and therefore it's like, oh wow, okay, that's a shock to the senses. Uh, so I yeah, like most of these things going yeah going on uh, from this period are like that too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, another one I have not seen, which was again one of these British jobs, of the Trigun Factor. Uh, Cyril Frankel directed that. Really? And, You've not seen that? No. And listen to this cast. Stuart Granger, Susan Hampshire was in stuff like Malta Twee and Neither the Sea of the Sand, Robert Morley, uh, James Robertson Justice, again, from the Doctor series. And then you've got a couple of the Germans, like uh, Schoenberg and Arendt. And then Diane Clare, again, from The Plague of the Zombies and The Haunting. I've never seen this one, though. How is this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really interesting because, because there's a German version and there's a British version, and both of them are different, beside the dubbing. No, right. uh, there's one that that's nastier, and there's <laughs> and there's one and there's one that's just plain unusual. Um, there, Stuart Granger is playing the detective. Uh, you, there was a brief period he was doing this Euro spy thing. He did two or three of those, and so it has a feel of a Euro spy movie, like the one that we talked about a few minutes ago. Um, <laughs> But it also is definitely an Edgar Wallace thing because it's, it's sort of like Dead Eyes of London. There's a there's a a school. It's a convent actually. It's a convent. There's some nasty stuff going on. Girls are disappearing. Sounds good to me already. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's funny. You would think the German one would be the the the, the German language version would be the more uh, nasty brutality you know, that wasn't what I thought uh, I actually figured it'd be the British <laughs> it was the British one <laughs> they've got more of a nasty edge to them <laughs> yeah yeah the British, it was the British one and I was very surprised it was actually the one that also had nudity in it too which was that's uh, interesting yeah and you know what it's not bad it's not great but it's definitely different. Uh, so then we come on to what is probably still to this day my all-time favorite of these, which is Creature of the Blue Hand. Oh, mine uh, too. Which, mine which too. is an Alfred Vorm. Howard Leibniz is the lead in it. So, again, it's a little bit unusual. Uh, Klaus Kinski and Sigrid Scherberger in it. It is so freaking good. And apparently there was like a couple of versions of this. So the, the DVD that I have actually put out with the shittier version as well as the real one. Uh, so you have your choice. I don't know why anybody would want to watch the other one. There's more gore in it, but it's just like, I don't know. Do you remember the name of the uh, the alternate version I'm talking about? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I do. I, I can't remember yeah. what the hell it was. So he's like, why would anybody want to watch this? But I'm sure there's some crowd of gore hounds that would never touch an Edgar Wallace movie otherwise. They're like, oh, yeah, there's a little blood and guts here in that one here, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very lurid title, too, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. 
but Creature of the Blue Hand itself, the original version, uh, I actually rented. That was one of the first Edgar Wallace. Actually, it was the first Edgar Wallace film I ever saw. I rented it from like I forget what it was, Super Video or something, back in the the uh, late eighties, early nineties, and I loved it. I rented it several times, and yeah, I was like, okay, and then finally came the DVD, which was great. Um, it really. Good, interesting, odd film, especially for the color ones. And Kinski has a pretty prominent role in it. It's not like his usual where he's in the background for a couple of minutes as a red herring. He's like right up front. Uh, it's, a dual, so, it's a dual role, too. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, very, very good. Uh, can't recommend that one enough. I, I don't know if you want to tell me the plot or anything or just leave it be. But Well, uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, how many people even know about these things? Uh, let's just say that. Somebody escapes from an asylum, mm-hmm. and the police are tracking this person who may or may not have gone back to his family home, which is this really nice estate, this mansion. People buy oddballs, and um, so you know it comes to be like, what stranger? The people living in this house, and what are they up to? <laughs> and or the place this this person escaped from, the asylum. Right. You know, what's Stranger? And there are, I mentioned it earlier, but this is the first one. Actually, all versions have this. The one with the lurid title actually has footage shot by someone else, edited in. There's more nudity and more mm-hmm. reef gore. Um, but this is the spicier one, the more harder one. Yeah, this is probably my favorite Edgar Wallace song. It is my favorite? It is. He he does play dual roles, and I, without giving anything away, he's he's really strong in both of them. He's really good. And I also want to say that this is something else that just occurred to me, which is this is the most Mabuza-like of all the Edgar yes. Wallace films. Very yeah. much so. I mean, there are like traps that pop down on the the cops when they're trying to run through the place, and it, it's like, okay, yeah, this feels just like what I later saw when I started watching Doctor Mabuza films. Uh, very good thing. Um, College Girl Murders uh, also came out on disc over here. I think it was Dark Sky put that out. Another Vorer, also pretty strong, uh, but not as good. I was like, well, I can see why they picked it, and but why just that one? I mean, I would have gone for some other ones as well. Um, Fuchsberger's in it. Ava Stromberg mm. from from Purist Lesbo. She killed next to the X thirty one flight to hell. And Devil came from Akasava was in this. So you got a Franco regular here. Uh, Sigfrid Schoenberg's in it, and Ushi Gloss once again. You know, again, not bad. Another one of those ones that's set up at basically a convent girl school sort of a thing. This is the one I was mentioning where the guy's like in a, you know, what do they call it, the Grand Dragon or whatever, who's got the Red Clan hood. And like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. But, you know, he's just, yeah. you know, like masquerading as a monk, basically. Why he'd have a red hood? I have no idea. Uh, and going around and he's actually whipping people. He killed people with a whip. Uh, so he's got a little bit of that kinkiness to it, too. Uh, but, you know, very colorful, very uh, enjoyable. Definitely a good, uh, not a great introduction to the series, but it was like, okay, well, you can get an idea, sort of, at least with the later ones through it. Um, How the Blackwood Castle is, that one I'm almost positive is a Brian Edgar Wallace. It's not bad. It's got, and we didn't mention this, but Peter Thomas did a lot of the soundtracks for these, which are really quirky. Oh, yeah, yes, Um, we and, you know, this one here I particularly remember because he had some guy, some like black soul singer type, and he's there like, ah, oh, Blackwood Castle, through the whole thing. And that's basically Oh, yeah, the he's music. doing this like orgasmic freaking. Yeah. Wow. 
freaking out and screaming and laughing. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this guy going insane? But it's all like soul singing type stuff. And then he's got this goofy do-do-do-do-do-do kind of music behind it. It's really interesting. And the way this plays against the films is like, what the hell? When you sit down and watch this, you know you're in for something really strange uh, and very comic booky. Uh, so I liked it for that respect. But And it's a horror. Uh, it's got Draka, Karen Ball, uh, Schoenberg, and Horst Tappert, who pops up in a couple of these, too, at least towards the end. But, you know, is it a fantastic one? No, no. It's 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 decent. It's definitely watchable, uh, especially for the color ones. Next, you come up to what is another of my favorites, and a lot of people don't like it. Uh, it's definitely not Edgar Wallace, per se. I'm not even sure if it's a Brian, maybe an original. Uh, the Hand of Power. Mm-hmm. Uh it's another Vora, like I mentioned. Nobody's really in it that's famous, but it felt very – if you're crossing the Edgar Wallace feel with the sort of 60s go-go sort of a feel and a bit of a spy thing, there you go. Uh, that's what you're getting there. Uh, the Gorilla Gang, which is also known as Gorilla Soho, uh, that was another Vora with Horst Tappert and Lucy Gloss. And that's kind of the end of the series. Uh, there was one more that Vora oh, did. The man, with the, the man with the Glass yeah, the, Eye? The Man with the Glass Eye. I never saw it. Uh, again, Horst Tappert's in it. It was Stromberg's back. And Christian Kruse. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say about either of those? Or who well, cares? Uh, <laughs> well, well, I wanted to, the, the Hand of Power is actually pretty good. Again, we, we, we talked about, uh, we mentioned with the Blue Hand, the, the introduction, you know, things being a little bit more lurid, more sexy. Uh, and, and just a point to make, these color films, you know, Sir John, we, you mentioned him earlier, the yes. uh, captain in charge of the Scotland Yard. Yeah, I love how he shows up and he, he leaves with these girls, arm in arm, yes. remember this? And he's an old guy with a handlebar mustache. It was like more or less comic relief. But you're correct. He like picked up the women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, young women. There was even one of them. I forgot which one it was. I, and you'll know when I say it, what I'm talking about. The story doesn't even end well. Like it's like it, it ends on a bit of a downer. He's like, "Oh well, it's over now. Come on, ladies." Yeah. And they leave with him. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> it's true. They, they ended a couple like that. Usually with Eddie Arendt doing the clothes. Like, oh, okay. Well, let's go back. I'll get a new umbrella, and, and that's the end of it. Like, yeah, okay. I got a new umbrella. Yeah, we everybody's uh, dead now. Uh, the ape creature I liked, which is the same as the Grillo show, and. Uh, it's it's fun. It's not a great movie, but it's fun. It's also another rewrite of Dark Eyes of London, which was uh, um, which was I, I skipped over it. That was another you know Edgar Wallace. Uh, I think Bela Lugosi, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Edgar Wallace. That's Bell the one Lugosi, you yeah. mentioned, right? Yeah, yeah. Tor Johnson. Yeah. Tor Johnson. Um, um. So yeah, it's a fun one. The Man with the Glass Eye is not great because no, it's, it's 68 and by this time we're getting into territory that is just totally out of the comfort zone for this type of stuff. We're dealing with heroin, uh, drug abuse and yep. white slavery right yep. up your alley. So <laughs> <laughs> Why is that my alley? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's actually one that I wanted to mention that was not really an Edgar Wallace, but it sure. felt very much akin to Hand of Power, which was Carpet of Horror. I also liked that one a lot. Uh, again, yeah, I think it's an yeah. original. But, uh, yes, yes. Uh, 
But after this, you know, the series is kind of dead. They've got some things that sometimes people classify them as a Jallo, and sometimes they say they're like a Wallace uh, from other countries. Uh, Ricardo Freda did one that apparently was scripted by Fulci called Double Face. It has uh, Kinski in it, and Christian Kruger was in the last couple of uh, the Wallace films. Margaret Lee. Oh, yeah, it's on. Ricardo Freda. Yeah, it's a really good movie. It's really strange, though. Uh, Devil came from Akasava. We mentioned we talked about it during the Franco show because it's a Franco. Right. Uh, was sold at Miranda among other people. Dead body in the River Thames by somebody named Harold Phillip. Never heard of it. Uh, what have you done to Solange? Which I think is a Jallo, but you know Massimo Delamano, Fabio Testi's in it. Uh, but you know there's Karen Ball and Hogan Fuchsberger in the middle of it. So who knows? Maybe that's why they thought it was a Jallo. Um, and Camille Keaton shows up in that one too. Uh, Stephen Bloodstein Orchids, which is a Lindsay Jalo, but some people think it's a Edgar Wallace. I don't know why. Uh, Ushi Gloss is in it, but otherwise it's you know Antonio Sabato, Mar- Marissa Mel, Marina Malfatti. Um, you know Bloodstained Butterfly, another Jalo that people think. Duchess Sorry did that one. Helmut Berger's in it. Uh, Wolfgang Price is in it, so he's got some German actors, but is it Edgar Wallace? No, not really. Um, Brian did a couple, usually with uh, with CCC, like you mentioned before. They finally got their money together, and they they did Brian films like Secret of the Black Trunk, which uh, which I, I actually which I actually like. I like that one actually. It's one of the better Brian Edgar Wallace story about the yeah. drug smuggler, the uh, knife throwing killer. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Strangle of Blackmore Castle, very easy to get out there. Not so bad, but not great. Uh, Mad Executioners, I remember liking. Um, Phantom of Soho. Yeah. You know, it's got some strange people in it, like Maria Pershi from the Spanish films, like Heart of the Zombies. Uh, and Wolfgang Price is in it. Phantom of Soho, like you said. Uh, Monster of London City again. Uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Some people say that's Edgar Wallace. Why? I don't know. It's a, it's a Dario Argento or a Jalo. Uh, Jalo. Uh, Death Avenger Soho, which was Narder Browner that he did with it. It's a Spanish co-production. It's also known as Death Packs a Suitcase, and Franco did this one. Uh, but it's got Horst Tappert and Siegfried Schoenberg in it. And then there's another Jello, The Dead or Alive, uh, which Arthur Browner did with a bunch of Romans and stuff called uh, Alex Cord, Samantha Egger, and Horst Frank are in it. But, you know, it's a kind of a weird Jello. So why people are saying these are Edgar Wallace? Yeah, have you know, seen why. that one? Have you seen uh, that one? Yeah. yeah, I have that one. Yeah, I haven't seen it in so long, and I actually saw it in the theater. I have and this. I, yeah, and I just didn't see it all, the Diego Wallace connection. But uh, All of these, all these Jalos, I'm like, just because there's German actors or actors that were in Edgar Wallace films does not make it an Edgar Wallace film. So I'm like, all right. Well, I don't know why people are saying this, but there you go. Might be just marketing but, hype. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Uh, one last word in the Brian Edgar Wallace films. Uh, Santa Burger, again, isn't Secret of the Black Trunk for those Santa Burger fans. Um, but what I wanted to say is they could not get a good lead for these pictures. Yes. So we, we have like Hans Jorg Felmy. Who? Joaquin Henson. And in one, The Phantom of Soho, it's, it's Dieter Bosch. So, I mean, you know, we, we, were, we were dealing with, you know, Joaquin Fuchsberger and. Um, Hans Rocker. Rocker. Morris Tapper later, right. So we're doing uh It's totally outside the usual. Yeah, you've got like weird Yeah, things. yeah. It's, yeah, these are really unfamiliar faces. Well at least um, it's just a couple, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. And then we have we have Doctor Mabuda. 
Yes. Now, Dr. Mabuza is very similar but related, uh, or I should say unrelated, but it's, it's the same idea. Uh, it may actually predate a lot of the Edgar Wallace craze, at least in Germany, uh, because you had uh, – who was that fellow that did the original? Fritz Lang, back in like 1931 yes. or something, he did Testament of Dr. Mabuza, the original one. Um but then later on, he came back and did uh, a remake of that and Crimes of Dr. Mabuza and The Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuza, which is very much like in the Edgar Wallace mold. Yeah. Um, and then they did so well that they took other directors and they would star people like uh, – who was the blonde fella? He was in a lot of Eurospar too. And I, I was the Lex person Parker. Gay. Lex Parker. No, no, not Lex Parker. Uh, oh. Van something. Something Van something. Oh, Peter Van Eck. Peter Van Eck, Yes. I also had impression he was gay. He was very much like a, a mama's boy type, uh, tall blonde guy, um, and he would pop up in these too. Uh, Return of Doctor Mabuza, the Invisible Doctor Mabuza, and the Death Ray or Death Ray Mirror of Doctor Mabuza. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Thousand Eyes a hell of a lot, uh, the first Lang one, and then after that, the three that they did after that, the uh, Invisible and the Return, and to some extent the the Mirror of Death Ray were really, really good. They they really kind of, like I said, they're pushing the exact same buttons. They're in the same ballpark, but more like Creature with the Blue Hand, where you've got more death rays and uh, death traps, and you know, the cops will be chasing them. It feels like Fu Manchu again. Uh, they'll be chasing him into some tunnel or whatever the hell because he's behind the crime organizations all the time. Mabuza was this mysterious figure that apparently Lang claims that he intended as sort of a warning about Hitler because obviously that was happening at the time. He's mm. kind of rising. Uh, whether that's true or not, it was just a posthumous thing he said. Who knows? But he's definitely a sinister figure that's behind a lot of stuff that's kind of erupting underneath all the occurrence of you know crime and whatever else is going wrong in the, in the city. Um, and, you know, these intrepid cops and Interpol people are chasing after him. And there's a lot of twists and turns. And there's a lot of really – not only do they have to beat a lot of crime organizations and a lot of, you know, being you know, thugs and whatever kind of – the usual stuff, but really crazy death-defying things where they just get out of a building before it explodes or they go down. They think they got him, but no, he's not really there. And, oh, you just got trapped inside a cage and here comes the poison gas. And, oh, wait, you just fell in a pit of vipers. And, you know, almost like a serial kind of a thing where, oh, wait, here's the walls closing in on you and the spikes came out. And that sort of a vibe is what the Mabuza films are all about. Uh, you know, popcorn entertainment. Uh, they may or may not, depending on whether you believe Lang, have a deeper message. But, you know, for the most people, are just going to be watching them as entertainment. And I, they really work. So uh, is there anything you want to say about them? That's no, sure. I really, I really like these. Yeah, uh, Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuza, which is uh, Fritz Lang going back to, you know, something he created decades later, you know, he had already done the movie with Glenn Ford, and he'd done his, the Western and everything else that he's known for over here. Um, he went back to Germany to do that, and it's a really good film. I think by that time, we're talking 1960s, so we're talking about the Cold War, talking about mind control, a lot of stuff going on in that yes. movie. It's black and white. All of them are black and white. Um a lot of mind control. <laughs> a lot of mind control, which is a big thing with the Mabuza picture. The other thing that I really wanted to mention was that Wolfgang Price and Walter Rila, which are two uh, German character actors that appear in a lot of films from 55 on till 70-something, um, they do interchangeable kind of... They, 
Fritz Lang does something really strange with these two guys because at some point during this this series, although he only did the first picture of this uh, later series of four movies, he does something where Wolfgang Price becomes Mabuza and Walter Rilla is Mabuza, but he's actually some other doctor because Mabuza's mind had left his body and had been this other person. Very interesting stuff going on here. Yes, it's popcorn entertainment, but it's thinking man's popcorn entertainment. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You can find a deeper message there. It's just how much are you reading into it. I'm not well, sure. Well, how much do you want to invest in it, too? Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. The Invisible Dr. Mabuza, also marketed here because they didn't know what the hell to do with these things, says The Invisible Horror is yes. one of my personal favorites. I love that because, one. Yeah, you too. Yeah, it's yep. it's... You've got it, it, it at times uh, reminds me of um, what's that Umberto Lindsay movie with the uh, zombie soldier thing? What Nightmare City? Yeah, Nightmare City. Well, I'm gonna make the con- I'm gonna make the connection this way because these soldiers are all mind, under mind control of Mabuza, so they will do anything. Even you know, right? You know, they will do anything and. <laughs> Mabuza's found a way to make them invisible for most of the film. And uh, it's a proto proto violence going on here for uh what is this? We're talking sixty one, sixty two. Concurrent with the Diego Wallace films. Yep. This is something the Mabuza pictures, there's only as I said, four of them I believe. Yes. They they're into themselves. They're 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 a little bit more violent, they're a little bit more like the espionage thing and then yep. not. And by the second picture, they introduced, I guess they wanted to do the, the, the sell, you know, market it, or back to the U.S. Like Barker, former Tarzan, um, former this and that, is a FBI agent Joe Como. In relation to Mario and Andrew. Um, <laughs> who is kind of stiff. That was the Lex Barker way. You know, he's kind of stiff. He's not a very emotional guy. I don't think I've ever seen him play emotional. And he's pretty fine as the FBI guy, but he's great with action. Two-fifths stuff, he's good. Oh, yeah. And, and um, what I was thinking, too, about the last one, the Death Spray, I remember yeah. thinking that was sort of like a cross between James Bond and a Godzilla film. Because remember he had yeah. that satellite dish? And he was yeah. basically just decimating the army outside. They were in the lawn with Peter Van Eck. And they're all ducking behind the bushes because their tanks are disappearing because he's blowing them all away and make them vanish. It was crazy. I mean, there's, there's really uh, – it, it ups the stakes from something like an Edgar Wallace to more of a you know James Bondish and going beyond that even uh, feel. So they're really entertaining. Yes, and by the last movie – by the last movie, actually – uh, if I'm right, oh no, the one before that, Scotland Yard versus Doctor Mabuza. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. uh, with Klaus Kinski in a pretty prominent role as a, uh, I think it was hypnotized, but he kind of got out of it. That's where they actually unite. They bring back Peter Van Eyck, mm-hmm. who was in the first Mabuza picture, and they have him work with uh, Lex Barker, who they bring back as FBI, FBI agent Joe Como. The Scotland Yard versus Dr. Mabuse is a lot of fun, too. But, yes, the the last one is very Bondian. Uh, There's also that bit of Thunderball, because the guys are doing the underwater thing, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but Phil, for some reason, 
I forgot who directed the uh, Death Ray Mirror. I just felt that that one, just kind of the energy was kind of sapped out, which is maybe why they stopped there. Just look and see, because that's the real stuff out here. Um, yeah, I'm not finding it yet, so I can't tell you. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we, uh, I guess, no, wrap I, it up? I think we did well, and we're under two hours again, folks. Amazing. There you go. So uh, next week, <laughs> be sure to tune in as we kick off Season 3, and we will be talking... Oh, this has gone away from me again. Tribute show, right? Yes, our tribute show, which I'm trying yeah. to find here. Um, maybe this is it for Lucky. Yes, here we go. Uh, so without question, 2016 has kicked off on a decidedly dark note, uh, above and beyond a ridiculous circus of a presidential election, a record-breaking wave of snowstorms in the east, tornadoes down south, uh, and, of course, increasing corporate and financial malfeasance, both nationally and globally, and some ongoing global concerns. We've lost large chunks of music, television, and film history in the surprisingly short span of a single month. So join us as we pay tribute to names like David Bowie, the Jefferson Airplanes, Paul Cantlin, Stigna Anderson, Ian Lemmy Kilmeister of Motorhead and Hawkwind, Jimmy Bain of Dio and Rainbow, and not to mention folks like Glenn Fry of the Eagles, Dallas Taylor of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Dale Griffin from Mount the Hoople, Nicholas Caldwell of The Whispers, Mick Gillette of Tower of Power, Stone's Yardbirds manager, Giorgio Gamelski on the music end, and if we remember, we'll start to add Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, Angus Scrim from Phantasm, Dan Haggerty from Bridget Adams, Vilmo Sigmund of the Ray Dennis Stecker and Arch Hall films, Easy Rider and Close Encounters, uh, Abe Fish Vagoda, Frank Finley, Terry Wogan, uh, Jacques Rivette, Pat Schneider Harrington. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people here, so we're going to raise a toast to those fallen uh, next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. So please don't die before the next show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we don't have time for any more, please. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we, we hope you enjoyed the Edgar Wallace film. We hope you might want to track down some of these movies and check them out if you haven't seen them. Exactly. So, thank you for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoy our little drawing and chat on the Edgar Wallace films and Dr. Wilson films. Uh, next week, we just pay tribute to the fall of 2016. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or we'll make a decision, uh, drop us a line facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1 or a website weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. Set Goldmine brought to you by the Pop Online Network. Talk. <laughs>